Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of September 9th through September 15th. I'm your host Colin McIsaac and as always I'm joined by Alex Plant. No, Super Mario Maker is not a drug. And Ben Lamoureux. Yes, it is. Well, shrooms are. The weird mushroom. Oh my god. <laughs> the skinny anyway. mushroom. Yeah. I think they call that the weird mushroom. Now. Weird mushroom, yeah. Yeah. And there are also like filters you can do when you get the weird mushroom to make it all like squiggly and distort the vision. Anyway, uh, man, guys, I am excited. It's a huge week for Nintendo news. We've got, we've got Pokemon Go, which has me more excited about Pokemon than I can ever remember being. We've got new DLC for Smash. We've got uh, Super Mario Makers out, and people are getting so creative with their levels. I mean, we have all this awesome stuff to talk about in this week's news segment. And then after the break, Nintendo has announced their next president, and he looks like a great choice, and I can't wait to have our discussion about this guy. What he means for the next era of Nintendo. Man, it's going to be a great episode. So let's start this week off with the biggest news from the Pokemon Company, and then we'll move on later into some news from Mario and Zelda and more. But uh, Game Freak dropped a bombshell on us this week by announcing a new mobile game that lets you capture and battle Pokemon in the real world by using augmented reality. Pokemon Go is its name, and it works in conjunction with a little watch-like device that alerts the player when Pokemon are nearby. So you'll be walking around in the real world, and the watch will beep, and you can pull out your phone and catch the Pokemon that's hiding around the corner from where you're standing, which is so cool! Miyamoto even came out on the stage during its announcement and said it reminded him of Pokemon Snap, which, uh, interesting little comment. But Pokemon Go launches next year, but it is getting a closed beta this winter. Before we get into more details about the game and who's making it, uh, I want to hear what your guys' thoughts are. So I keep sh uh, seeing people share posts, like, on social media, like Facebook or Tumblr, things like that, of, uh, saying, like, kids in schools all across America are gonna be like, sorry, teacher, I gotta go catch Pokemon, and just walk mm -hmm. out of the classroom. Ten-year-old says, Mom, I'm leaving home, I'm going on a nationwide <laughs> adventure to catch Pokemon. My journey has begun. <laughs> but, I mean, that hits on a, a, a point that this is really a, a very modern and, and much better realization of the original vision behind what Pokemon was, um than any of its current games, than any of its older games, obviously, because those were hugely limited by technology of the time. But, I mean, this is really, really so cool. I like what you said about the older games being limited by technology, because that really hits on what, what this does for me, and that is, the, you know, the real limitation of the Pokemon games is that the Pokemon game worlds are so limited themselves, uh, whereas now you kind of get that sort of I mean, everybody probably imagined when they were playing Pokemon as kids that, oh, I'm going to go walk in the woods and I'm going to find myself some bug Pokemon or mm -hmm. something like that. And that's, that's a feeling that you only kind of replicate in the games. It's not something that's, that's really fully present. But now, you know, you have kids that can go out and they can really discover, you know, a, a Caterpie in their backyard or a Pidgey in their neighborhood or something like that. Alex, you know, you complained a lot in the past about recent Pokemon games not having very good level design when it comes to dungeons. So I just picture you, like, intentionally getting lost in a cave so that you can relive that Pokemon experience. <laughs> right, or or walking around my office and then there's, like, a Voltorb falling from the ceiling. Like... <laughs> oh, man. I mean, what if, if the world of Pokemon has gotten to the point where they don't put a, much, a lot of effort in anymore, the best thing they could do is put Pokemon in the real world. <laughs> they don't even they need don't to even design, have to the design world. a world. Yeah. We've talked before about how... Pokemon used to have this heart where it was about making it feel like these creatures could exist in the real world, like these 
like you are exploring your own neighborhood and your own your own region and and finding these whimsical monsters and experiencing this this real pokemon journey and this little infusion of fantasy into the world that you already know and that's exactly what pokemon go does i mean that's you know we've we've said before games like x and y are 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 falling away from that they're the monster designs are ridiculously over the top um the new Zygarde stuff, which we'll talk about later. Oh my God, don't even get me started. But, um, you know, I feel like the main series has really been losing that 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 special touch. And Pokemon Go is not only bringing it back, it's bringing it back better than ever. It's bringing it back realized in a way that when this is the ultimate dream come true for a Pokemon fan, and it's actually happening. It's, yeah. it's the wildest dream that anyone ever could have said. And two weeks ago, if anyone had suggested this, they would have sounded like an absolute nut job. Total blind optimism. Never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. And here we are. We're getting Pokemon Go this, well, beta this winter. It's coming out next year. I mean, man, what a time to be alive. You know what's interesting to me is uh, how many mobile games do you see? You know, mobile games are usually cheap or free. How many mobile games do you see that are sold with a mandatory peripheral and what franchise other is the than peripheral Pokemon, mandatory? I, I th- well, maybe it's not. I, I think it it's optional. It's okay. optional. But I, would, I mean, certainly if it's mandatory, no one's going to want to play this game. Well, I was going to say, what, thing... what franchise other than Pokemon could even convince people to buy a peripheral for a, a mobile Just... game? Right. Just for one mobile game, too. Yeah. Like, there's no promise that it'll be useful for anything else. And I mean, yeah, I've been seeing people share... Ben, you said people are talking about it on social media. I've, yeah. been, I've been seeing people talking about it who I've never even known to like video games. And they, they know Pokemon, and they, they miss Pokemon, and they're talking about it, and the convenience of having it on a phone, and the idea that... That idea that it's in the real world rather than in a video game, you know, I'm seeing this touch so many more people than the games do because... I mean, I think in part because when older generations were younger and they experienced Pokemon as kids, that's what they loved about it, was the idea that you could see, you know, that you could imagine these things in the real world. And now that that's coming to life, it's it's bringing them back in and, and getting them reinterested in the franchise. I mean, part of that is obviously nostalgia, but another part of that is it's something that the modern Pokemon games can't do. They can't say, hey, 25-year-olds, remember Pokemon? come get back into it because the mechanics are dated, the technology limits the Pokemon experience, but this new thing with all the GPS and all this crazy stuff, I mean, you know, it's it's attracting the very people that the main games have been losing. And it wouldn't have been possible if this weren't a mobile game because, mm-hmm. as you said, it uses the GPS and location tracking. And so in a way, it, it's almost like it, it, it suits Nintendo's whole strategy of using hardware and making games that can only work on that hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. The one concern yeah. I have so far is that we really haven't seen anything for gameplay. So, you yeah. know, the, the idea is fantastic, but, I, you know, I want to see how it's applied before I get, you know, too hyped to go out and be a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think the nice thing about that, though, is they already have a lot of systems in place. Uh, for like trading, for example, is something that they've already done online. That wouldn't be something that would be difficult to adapt to a mobile platform. Uh, same with the battle system. They've already done a touch-based interface even for battles. They can just port all that stuff straight over and, and not really tweak it very much. Yeah, and but still if the probably Pokemon work. look ugly, if the animations are bad, yeah. if it's, well, it's kind of glitching I, you out know, I kind of wonder about the battle system and the level-up system and you know how they'll handle all that. You know, I, I imagine it might be a different system that's more tailored for an on-the-go. Well, I mean, I, most Pokemon games are on-the-go, but still uh, mobile experiences are expected to be you know a little quicker 
a little easier to pick up and put down than handheld yeah. experiences. So I don't imagine that this will just be a straight port of the like level up and battle mechanics, but I don't know. We we haven't really seen yeah. enough to determine that. I mean, I agree with you on that. Let's talk about that trailer, though. My God, what a good job. Nintendo, that's how you market things. Yeah, and that's how you explain new concepts in mm-hmm. particular. Um, mm-hmm. Like that, They didn't really need to go have this this voiceover guy tell me what's going on they just have little snappy little phrases uh the visuals really tell you the story more so mm-hmm. than anything that's in the text the story of fighting mewtwo as a raid boss in <laughs> yeah. the real world yeah i mean I, i'm i i get the impression that the the real world, world experience won't quite be like that no, I, God, I, no. I, I doubt it'll even Not be a raid battle <laughs> it'll probably just be some kind of timed event sort of thing but still like the visual representation of a virtual concept was just yeah pretty much perfect like this is like you said this is what nintendo advertising needs to look like yeah and you know nintendo has been saying the line quite a bit lately that like oh it's not the problem isn't that we have a bad product our product has great value it's just hard to understand and like you guys it's said it's not you know, hard to understand yeah. you just suck at communicating it <laughs> but now here they are communicating it really really well yeah, yeah. so Awesome job all around. I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, where this goes and, and and how they handle this in the coming months and as it launches and post-launch. But super exciting. I am I'm so glad we have something overwhelmingly positive to say about Nintendo right now. Yeah. I feel like we I feel like our show started at a time where there wasn't a whole lot of great stuff that could be said for them. And now, I mean I just I feel the the seven year old inside me just trying to break free and 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 just just die of happiness. Oh, and that's that's another great thing about this is this is one of their first real mobile pushes, and so this is something that is going to reach a lot of seven year olds. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to have a Nintendo product already. This is they, this can be their first exposure to Pokemon, and it could mm-hmm. potentially encourage them to. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily want to say upgrade since this sounds like a really cool experience, but to. Uh... To try, you know, the 3DS Pokemon. Yeah, I think this is going to be better than the core games, honestly. Yeah, and, and we'll see. Maybe this is going to be so deeply integrated with the next Pokemon game, so that'll be something that'll be easy for them to do. Yeah. Um, so, man, I am, I'm more excited about this than I have been about Pokemon in at least a decade, probably more. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and that's saying a lot because I have been so cynical and, and, and bitter about the direction that Pokemon has taken that with just a one-minute trailer and an announcement that came out of absolutely nowhere in the middle of the night, they managed to successfully excite me that much. Yeah. Man. So, this game is being made by the Pokemon Company with Niantic Labs, mostly. Niantic Labs is a startup that shot off from Google and became an independent studio. Nintendo's also involved with it, but it's not one of the games from Nintendo's partnership with DNA, so Nintendo's making five mobile games plus Pokemon Go. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about Niantic, uh, they're the ones behind the popular mobile game Ingress, which is also a game that relies on location tracking. So if you're worried that they're not going to be able to pull off a game that, that uses this concept, they've done it before and they've done a pretty bang up job. Uh, Ingress is this sort of sci-fi exploration game with a really deep, uh, lore revolving around two warring factions who try to take control of real-world locations called portals. So it's not quite the same thing as Pokemon Go, but at least you know that they really know how to use location technology. Yeah, and you can try Ingress yourself if you're interested in getting a better idea of like how this kind of thing might work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great to see uh, 
Nintendo or, you know, more so the Pokemon company in this circumstance, but teaming up with a partner that knows what they're doing in order to get into a new style. You know, they're not trying to just do it all on their own. They're, they're finding someone that knows how to do it because that's been kind of a, a weak point for Nintendo is ex experiences that have to be, you know, that are heavily online or heavily social. Like this is, this is not the kind of thing that you would expect them to be able to pull off by themselves. So mm -hmm. it's great to see them working with a proven partner. And a Western partner. Yeah, yeah. I was going to get there, too, because um, so many of their attempts to integrate sort of new technologies are very Japan-centric. Mm -hmm. uh, like, for example, StreetPass. StreetPass is something that doesn't really work in, in the West where we don't really have that whole train commuter culture outside of, you know, the very few uh, urban areas that have a really good uh, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But this this is a Western approach to a mobile location-based game. And it's going to be way better than StreetPass when E3 comes around. Oh, Yeah. Oh my god, I... I could see them going wanna... all out at E3. I'm not sure if I want to think about... I mean, it could be really amazing. It could be such a nightmare. I'm hoping it means, like, short lines, because everyone will be out trying to catch a shiny Mewtwo <laughs> while I'm playing the Zelda game. Nobody's doing their jobs at E3, they're just playing <laughs> Pokemon Go. I want to know what this means for Pokemon Symphony. Oh, uh, that is really interesting. I want to move on, but yeah, that's a yeah. really interesting question. I they might be they might do some really cool stuff with that. Anyway, uh, we got a lot more information about the two mysterious Pokemon that we've seen teased recently. Korokoro Magazine revealed that both the little green blob and the giant monster thing are indeed forms of Zygarde, and there are plenty more. Um, you can learn all about the mechanics of those at Gamnesia, but you know there's a cell form, a blob form, a dog-like form, uh, the normal Zygarde that we already know. And then the giant monster thing, which is actually a Gundam that's piloted by the little blobs. And the cells make up the little blobs. And I think the dog is also a Gundam, but it's shaped like a dog. <laughs> this is so confusing. Oh, you know, I'm all for the mega evolutions, and I think some of the new forms they do and things like that are cool. But, uh, you know, I, <laughs> they'll have to come up with some very compelling story behind this for me to think it's interesting. Like, right now it's just kind of weird to me. It's actually a stealth Gundam crossover. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Can we, like, forget that this exists and just pretend Pokemon Go is the next main series game? Sure. Because I want to... I have so many amazing memories of what Pokemon used to be. I don't want a 600-foot Gundam to come in and ruin it. Well, that was a discussion killer. <laughs> okay. You just said what we all were thinking, that's all. <laughs> Um, thing, but there's also a new anime series called X, Y, and Z in which these guys will play some role. And Greninja is getting a new form based on Ash's appearance. There's no word on whether that will make its way into the game, but you can check out the new series action-packed trailer at Gamnesia. Anyone have anything to say about that? Or not particularly. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I had noticed they had said was uh, the Ash Greninja. It's called Ash Greninja. Great name. <laughs> Never would have called that. <laughs> It happened because Ash formed the ultimate bond with Greninja, like the ultimate form of friendship, which they say only happened once in the Kalos region several hundred years ago. And I'm thinking that has something to do with AZ and Floette. Huh. And, uh, yeah, it's possible. I'm, I'm thinking it has to do with friendship. Nintendo trying to force Greninja as the most popular Pokemon from Generation 6. But, <laughs> I mean, maybe. But, but to be fair, just you know, he's awesome. Why, why would they mention that, though? Why would yeah, they mention yeah. this, this it happened before thing, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Have to add um, to the mystique, I guess. Yeah. 
So uh, keep an eye out about AZ and Floet for the future if there's a Pokemon Z game coming out. But uh, in our last little Pokemon story in this little train here, they may have also teased a seventh generation of Pokemon games coming next year. Uh, during the live stream, an image was displayed that showed a timeline of each new generation in the series. So they didn't show uh, like the third versions, they didn't show the remakes, they just showed the new ones. And there was an empty space there with 2016 and it was in really big letters. It may have just been, you know, the future of Pokemon is almost here uh, and not actually been actively teasing something, but there was an empty space. It was for 2016, so thoughts? You know, if uh, NX actually does end up being, you know, multiple devices, including a handheld and a console, how great would it be for the new generation of Pokemon to be like an NX launch title that you could play on the go or at home? Oh, dude, I hadn't thought of that, but that's genius. I don't think it'll happen just because 3DS has a pretty decent install base and, you know, we saw last generation they were content to uh, keep releasing DS Pokemon games until like two years after 3DS had come out. So I imagine there'll be 3DS, the, the new generation will be 3DS mm -hmm. titles and I can't complain about that too much. But I agree with you, but I'm also thinking, I mean, that would be such a big way to launch the NX and so, you know, people have been wanting a home console main series Pokemon game for forever. And, you know, that's the way to sell Yeah, that would be a bombshell announcement. Yeah, because, um, I mean, you know, it's still a portable game that fits with everything they want to accomplish with the series, but people can play it on the home console like they've always wanted to. Everyone is happy, huge way to launch the new system, and it communicates really effectively, I think, or it would, rather, the idea that it's it's cross-platform sort of thing. And then especially if they've already built up a, a decent audience for Pokemon Go, then you've got all these new Pokemon fans, and hey, guess what? Check out this new Pokemon game on this NX. You can play it on the Go, mm -hmm. you can play it at home. Pokemon! Woo! <laughs> yeah, I get the impression that whatever's coming uh, next year, whether it's Poke just Pokemon Z or something, or, or, or an NX title like you guys are saying, it'll be sort of related to Pokemon Go in some way, probably connected to it. Uh, I don't know how to what extent, but uh, given that Pokemon Go is their first real tease at what's coming in 2016, it, it just seems like a conclusion that's too easy to reach. Yeah, I think it would be a wasted opportunity if it wasn't. Yeah, well, they did say that Pokemon Go was going to connect to the main series in some way, but we don't know how. Yeah, I'd love for I'd, I'd love for it to just be straight up transfer your stuff through Pokemon Bank or something, but... Nintendo is once again partnering with Game Truck to promote Super Mario Maker, as they did with Splatoon this summer. For those of you who don't know, Game Truck caters to birthday parties by supplying a truck full of games. Uh, each game truck is equipped with popular games and staffed by advisors who can answer questions. Nintendo's been promoting Super Mario Maker a lot of different ways recently, and according to a Nintendo UK product manager, its marketing campaign is on the same scale as Mario Kart 8 and Splatoon. You know, we, we heard that report a little while ago that... Uh... Nintendo actually spends disproportionately more money on advertising than the average Japanese company, which is kind of hard for me to fathom. But they're you know. spending it in all the wrong places, <laughs> I guess. But it's it's nice to see. Maybe in Japan they advertise a lot. Maybe I'm not well, sure. Well, and here they probably advertise a lot relative to the other Japanese companies that have a presence here, right? Yeah, but I mean that's not saying a whole lot. True. Well, I I, I would they probably don't advertise as much as. Uh, well, percentage-wise, more than Sony, but not money-wise. But anyway, um, I just think it's great to see that all of the recent, you know, big AAA titles that they kind of hoped would be system sellers on Wii U are getting these big promotions, that Nintendo's actually throwing their weight behind them and giving them good advertising and coming up with creative ways to advertising, like Game Truck. Like, I would have mm -hmm. never imagined that Nintendo would just, like, rent out an entire company of trucks and cater to birthday parties all summer and fall. 
Like that, yeah, right. that's not something I would have guessed they would be doing. And it's it's an awesome idea. It, it kind of reminds me of the original Wii marketing pushes where their goal was really to get as many people to try out Wii as possible. Um, it's just sort of more limited in the sense that it's targeting a very specific sort of delivery mechanism rather than just, say, doing a mall tour or something. But, you know, the, the spirit, I think, is still there. And and I think that just goes to show how important that whole hands-on uh, word-of-mouth sort of impression experience is to uh, Nintendo's popularity. Uh, they, they very much thrive on the accessibility of their games and how quickly they, they are to understand and to to smile about mm-hmm. and you know uh i i kind of wondered how successful the splatoon campaign would be just because you know this is something you have to sign up for you have to have parents wanting to sign up for game truck um but i don't have the numbers right in front of me right now but if i remember correctly they said that the splatoon campaign with game truck reached over six hundred thousand people total which that's that's, that's a huge that's number bad. that's the number that splatoon is sold yeah six six hundred thousand is the u.s number I also want to mention real quick that Super Mario Maker's 9-day unlock system that we've talked about might have been patched out. Uh, some people are saying it's now usage-based instead of time-based, which is what we said here on Nintendo Week that they should do. Um, but I downloaded the update, and it's still making me do the whole 9-day system. And I've heard conflicting reports from first-hand sources. Like, some people say they can unlock stuff within 15 minutes. It's it's um, a little bit of both. Say, it'll, it'll, what's up? It'll tell you that you're going to get it uh, the next day. But if you use, I I don't know if it's time or amount of blocks placed or a a combination of the two, but basically if you just like grab a block and like paint the screen for a while, your supplies will show up. Okay. Yeah, and it, it also depends on how many of the tool new tools that you've used. I noticed uh-huh. once I had kind of exhausted all the possible options that came with each uh, update, the new one would arrive. So that that includes feeding super mushrooms to things and and shaking things so that they behave differently. Like they really want you to kind of experiment with all the tools before you move on to the next set. Okay. Yeah. So we don't know what all the conditions are exactly, but you definitely can speed up the process. It's some weird combination. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's still good. Following the launch of Super Mario Maker, though, Nintendo announced that Smash Bros. is getting a Super Mario Maker level for both Wii U and 3DS. Uh, the stage begins with a hand drawing everything out, and uh, people fall down onto the stage. It looks like it'll be different every single time you play. They haven't exactly clarified it yet, but um, it looks like it's sort of randomly generated. It looks more random than Tortimer Island and uh, Gamer. We'll see exactly how it works, but... It looks like the stages will flip between the four skins, like the Mario 1, 3, World, and, and U. I also noticed uh, they said that if you destroy certain elements of the stage, the hand will redraw them in. Uh, yeah, later. and sometimes it'll be like the normal hand, sometimes it'll be Mario, sometimes it'll be the cat paw, which is super cute. But this DLC launches on September 30th. It's going to be, I think, 250 per version and 350 for... Uh, the combo pack. I don't... It's either three fifty or or three ninety nine. I can't remember. Yeah, you you can find the numbers on uh, the official Smash site. I've seen some people comment on uh, the fact that the trailer showed that the level seems to have slopes, which were a yeah. tile feature that many people lamented were missing from the actual Super Mario Maker. So I'm kind of wondering whether Nintendo's hinting that slopes might actually be added in a future patch. Mm-hmm. I hope so. What do you guys think? I don't know if I'm that optimistic, but I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, I mean, I I think this is probably more than anything just, you know, because it's a Smash Bros. stage. But regardless, I would be surprised if 
slopes don't come to Mario Maker as DLC because Mario Maker is a great platform for downloadable content. Slopes is something that everyone's asking for. Yeah, so. yeah, it just seems like. And for an me, it it, it yeah. seems like an odd sort of oversight if they, you know, aren't actually coming because uh, Smash Bros is typically so faithful to what the original games are actually like. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'd love to see that happen. Nintendo's Takashi Tezuka recently talked about the future of 2D Mario games. He said he wanted to take them in a new direction. Um, he said he wanted to top the new Super Mario Bros. games. Miyamoto agreed. He elaborated on this. And he says, now that creative power is in the hands of the fans, it's time for Nintendo themselves to do something new with the 2D Mario series and, and, and move it in a new direction, he says. Honestly, I hope the new direction doesn't mean they're leaving level maker tools behind and that you know Super Mario Maker is the only thing we're going to get. Because uh, Super Mario Maker is one of the most intuitive level creation programs I have ever had the pleasure of checking out. And I'd love to see an editor as a standard feature in uh, the future 2D Mario games, uh, not just a standalone homage sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Especially since I think something like this has the potential to reach more people if it's bolted onto a, a traditional 2D Mario game. Uh, perhaps. I mean, uh, here's what I kind of imagine the trajectory being is 2D Mario is moving in a new direction and it doesn't have a level editor or anything um, you know, Nintendo is doing that just the way they did past 2D Mario games. But Mario Maker, I imagine, is going to be so, sort of a platform more than it is a game. I mean, I think it's a prime candidate to come to NX pretty much at launch. Um, and now that we're seeing other companies move into this sort of space where games are going cross-gen, and especially digital games and heavily online games are going cross-gen, I'm imagining that Super Mario Maker is going to be be more of this thing where you play the game no matter what console it's on and that includes on nx and then that'll include you know whatever consoles nintendo makes after nx you know they'll just keep bringing mario maker along with it and offer it as this sort of eternal platform for 2d mario creation and then have the 2d mario series exist separately i imagine it looking kind of like what minecraft looks like right now Hmm. yeah that's an interesting vision um especially if they keep adding to it over Mm -hmm. time and then, of course, you know, you know, I imagine, like, ev- with every new sort of breath of life that they put into it, they would maybe say, get, you know, the new Super Mario Maker for $20. Um, you know, it's on NX. It has all these new tile sets, like, slopes and checkpoints and, <laughs> and, and mini bosses that everyone's been asking for. That, that's sort of their way to re-promote it on the new, the new thing. I guess for me, the the side of me that wants to see Nintendo embrace services in that way also wants me to see Nintendo approach services in such a way that they aren't constantly charging you again and again for yeah. the same sort of thing. Like I could see them maybe having, you know, a service like you described and then you buy the new Mario game and then all of a sudden you get all these assets from the new Mario yeah, game. Yeah, I think Mario that would game. be a, a nice that move. That would be really cool, yeah. 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 I like that. Especially since so many people have been so vocal about it, wanting to move away from that whole idea that you have to keep rebuying things. Yeah. So last week we heard that Toon Link is coming to Hyrule Warriors Legends, but we didn't know much more than that. Famitsu's come out with new information, though, describing him as an agile fighter who uses his sword and wind-based attacks. Uh, He won't be playable in the game's legend mode, as we already discussed, but Famitsu revealed that Windfall Island, Dragon Roost Island, and the Forsaken Fortress will all be playable locations in the game. We've got some nice-looking screenshots that you can check out. Um, So yeah, Wind Waker content. Thoughts? I'm just a little con- confused as to why Toon Link isn't playable in the Legend mode. It's obviously because Tetra has to save Link. <laughs> yeah. It could be. It, well, this, this is... Hyrule Warriors is so 
heavily reliant on its female ensemble cast of characters that I wouldn't be surprised if this sort of became Nintendo's feminist moment. Well, it's also isn't. What do you mean by that? Well, people have have praised the game so much for having mostly female playable characters. So I could see them doing something with the Wind Waker content where, you know, Link is already a character. You don't need to have Link be the protagonist again. They could add I see, and Tetra as Tetra. the protagonist of the Legend Mode okay. campaign. Okay. Right. And, you know, I'd be perfectly fine with that. Um, I just think it'd be cool to play as Toon Link too. you know, have extra extra missions you know in addition after i mean you already can't play as like young link or tingle or or stuff so i mean you should be able to play as tingle (laughs) well yes tingle should have his own campaign obviously but it it does make sense to me that we don't have three playable links in the story mode yeah disney infinity 3.0 added a new paintball mode and it looks very familiar it's called squid wars uh it is a paint-fueled turf war just like splatoon and it even features a level that looks just like arowana mall um, a lot lower quality, of course. Yeah, apart but... from this Squid Wars actually not having squids at all. Yeah, it has nothing um... to do with squids. Why would you ever call it that? If... <laughs> I don't know. Jumping on the bandwagon or something. Squids are cool now. Um, but what I found most insane about the Arwana Mall knockoff is that it even has all of the ledges and vantage points, even uh-huh. though you can't even reach them in any way. <laughs> like, it's so crazy how much of a rip this is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so blatant. I feel like they must have been trying to do an homage rather than just steal the idea. But it just comes off as tacky. There's I know. a fine line between an homage and stealing when you charge. Well, yeah, yeah. If they were trying to do an homage, you would think that they would have, like, you know, done some sort of thing on social media, at least, saying, like, oh, hey, congratulations on Splatoon, Nintendo. Like, in honor of your success, like, here's a tribute to, you know, the great things you guys are doing. Yeah. You know, at least frame it like that yeah. and just put it out there and say, play Squid Wars. <laughs> and that would have been actually a decent, like, crossover opportunity if they wanted to pursue that, too. Yeah. Yeah. But no, no. <laughs> oh, man. Finally, a Nintendo representative has confirmed to IGN that Nintendo Directs will continue in the future. Uh, he went on to say they can't currently offer any details about who or what will be featured, in these these events but we can rejoice in the fact that nintendo directs will continue and that we will continue to get tons of bill trinan memes i'm presuming yeah i I actually (laughs) was thinking bill trinan would make a really good nominee because Mm -hmm. not only is he a native english speaker but he also speaks japanese so -hmm. he could reach everybody and it oh hey he'd be a confident speaker in both languages good idea uh and everyone knows he's got a great personality he's a fun guy yeah he is And, and he's a known face yeah. So. Yeah. But I'm not in charge, so. So, huh? I'm I'm surprised we're all in agreement on Bill Trinan. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Bill we, Trinan. Hey. We sort of we sort of <laughs> walked past him at E3. He's a he's a nice guy. Did you see? I've liked Trinan ever since uh, Spirit Tracks was about to come out, and he said, "Longtime Zelda fans, stay away from any sharp objects or ledges yeah. or something like yeah. that." <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the most just... candid any Nintendo employee has ever been in their official capacity, <laughs> and then kept to their job. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you remember that time Reggie said, uh, "We've sent Bill Trinan on a long trip." <laughs> For making fun of my Japanese skills. He'll be back one day. (laughs) Um, Anyway. Well, they did fire him from his previous role. (laughs) This is what he'll be doing next. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, looking back on it, Bill Trinan is a great presence for Nintendo's media. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the new host. Yeah. 
As always, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page, you'll be able to see all these links. Tecmo Bowl is now available on the Wii U eShop in North America. Shovel Knight Plague of Shadows launches tomorrow, September 17th. Skylander Supercharges launches on Sunday. Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer and the smaller model new 3DS both launch on the 25th and LEGO Dimensions on the 27th. The next Splatfest is happening this weekend at the usual time. Europe's choice is messy bedrooms versus tidy bedrooms, while North America's is the much more difficult art versus science. Team art. Science. The Super Mario Maker stage is coming to Smash on September 30th, which is the same day that Club Nintendo Europe officially shuts down. But fast forward to October 28th and Nintendo is holding their next quarterly report, so we may hear news of Club Nintendo's successor then, or if not, we'll hear plenty more about their financial, you know, goings-on, um, about some other news that they're planning for the future, etc. And jump ahead again this winter, and Shin Megami Tensei Crossfire Emblem launches on December 26th in Japan, while the closed beta for Pokemon Go launches. And then we've got a few facts from last week and reminders for you. Uh, we have the complete list of content that was not in Super Mario Maker, but did appear in past 2D Mario games, so if you want to look at great DLC opportunities, you can check that out. Famitsu Magazine's mascot will be added as a costume in Super Mario Maker. If you're suffering from a little creative slump from Super Mario Maker, or you worry that you won't have many good ideas, uh, there is a digital idea booklet that Nintendo is offering for free. You can download that and check out some awesome uh, Nintendo-sanctioned Mario Maker ideas to get your creative juices flowing. Miyamoto confirms and debunks several fan theories, and uh, including whether Mario 3 was just a play, so if you're interested, uh, you can find out. A fan artist turned two 8-bit Mario amiibo into Wario and Waluigi, a fan hack makes Mario the star of the original Sonic the Hedgehog, and Nintendo's copyright crackdown is deleting YouTube videos from popular Mario speedrunners, hackers, and more. Adorable plushies of Pikachu in cute Pokemon costumes are coming to Japan for Halloween. Pokemon Super Mystery Dungeon has over 120 dungeons. Pikachu Libre stars in a new Pokémon tournament trailer. And hilarious Pokemon fusions from that online generator thing that people are always, you know, posting goofy stuff from. Uh, that is getting a full-fledged Pokemon fan game, so check So that excited out for that. I know, right? DNA says Nintendo's mobile games can attract 150 to 200 million players. The Wii U bundle for Mario Kart 8 now includes both DLC packs for free. The world's top Smash player, Zero, is feeling burnt out on Smash 4 and he's taken a break from competitive play. Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer features network sharing for your creations with others. Star Fox Zero's director explains why the game looks so, uh, as fans would say, disappointing. Um, and the Mega Man Legacy Collection on 3DS is getting exclusive amiibo content that is actually going to be made by the winner of a fan contest. So, interesting. So that's all for the news segment this week. We're gonna get to break in just a second. And after that, we are gonna come back with a discussion about Nintendo's next president, Tatsumi Kimishima. We will be back soon, so stay listening. Hello, everybody. We are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and as I'm joined, as always, I screwed that up again, but it's Alex Plant. 
Sadly, or perhaps happily, I am not Nintendo's new president. Ben Lamoureux? I would let the power go to my head. And nobody else, but I didn't say and before Ben, so... Uh, Nintendo <laughs> has named their new president, Mr. Tatsumi Kimishima, and uh, you probably have never heard of him before. He was, however, the president of Nintendo of America from 2002 to 2006, after which he graduated to CEO of Nintendo of America. So he took a, a more of a backseat role and not so much hands-on directorial. Uh, Iwata took his place as CEO of Nintendo America in 2013, where he was moved to Nintendo of Japan, and he has now risen up the ranks there and become their new president. He is not the CEO. They have yet to name a CEO, as far as I'm aware. What do you guys think? I think it's a it's a pretty good move. You know, I, I wrote an editorial about it already, so I'm I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of the the subjects that it broaches on. Mm -hmm. But I think he's a a smart choice and a pretty safe choice, and I think he's going to do a good job at sort of making Nintendo structure a little more efficient and coming up with good ways to sort of carry out the plans that Iwata already set in motion. Yeah, I mean, he has said that he is going to keep Nintendo on the same path that Iwata set out for them. Looking at sort of his current, I, I say current, he's probably changed as of like a couple hours ago, but his previous role as was, uh, he was the head of Nintendo's corporate analysis and administration division, which is kind of a fancy way of saying he's the guy who is in charge of Nintendo's people and Nintendo's processes. Before he went to Nintendo, uh, before he went to Pokemon Company, rather, he worked at the bank, Sanwa Bank of Japan where he was involved in corporate planning, international business development, and corporate communications. So it's safe to say that uh, Kimishima's roles have all centered around corporate planning, uh, expanding international business, uh, and these are both areas of focus for Nintendo right now, both regarding their recent restructuring efforts, where they're trying to become more efficient, and their efforts to build sort of a future-proof Nintendo platform. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, international development. I think that's especially key because he had so much experience as president and then CEO of Nintendo of America. In an era where they did such an amazing job with their marketing and their public image. I mean, Nintendo yeah, absolutely. of Japan wasn't giving them a whole lot of great marketable cards. Well, it was really more the third-party support, I think, that did them in, but uh, GameCube's... The GameCube era is another discussion for another time, but uh, you look at their advertising back then, and it was incredible. Um, Especially... They did such a great job. Accumulating in the We Would Like to Play, which yeah. I'm assuming you're yeah. getting at, Alex. Yep. Yeah. And that was around when he took over as uh, Noah's CEO. It, so. Yes. Um, I mean, I think that was sort of his last big marketing project. And obviously, um, he was working on that throughout 2006. And I think he was probably promoted to CEO. Um, it was 2006. After work had, like, significant work had begun or was yeah. maybe even finished on that campaign. Um, so, well, I certainly mean, think, the product idea would have coalesced by then. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but he did such a great job with all those commercials and their cam those campaigns, and that's something that every Nintendo fan knows. They've done a terrible job marketing lately. They've done a terrible job marketing in the last, like, what? Almost ten years. To and... be fair, We Will Like to Play is going to be a hard bar to pass, but oh, at the well, same time, course. they could try. But the Yoshi's Island commercial for Game Boy Advance is not a hard bar to pass, and that's no. still better than pretty much anything they've done since We Would Like to Play. Yeah. 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 yeah, and Alex, but, you know, you've but I'm a you've now. talked a lot about how you think that Nintendo of America should have more decision-making uh, power, and I agree, considering, you know, they, they make up a very large portion of Nintendo's overall market, and the Japanese market just sort of continues to shrink when it comes to dedicated gaming platforms. As the Western market continues to grow. Yeah. 
So, uh, well, like, uh, Wii U makes up close to 50, or I'm sorry, North America makes up close to 50% of Wii U sales right now. So, you know, having someone with a lot of experience with the American market and hopefully will lead to them, you know, giving more voice to the uh, American branch of the company and to paying more attention to the American market and maximizing those sales. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and we've heard them talk about trying to sort of design their platforms in a way that uh, they can meet the needs of, of internet, different international markets. And that would, of course, include uh, U.S. and Japan and also emerging markets like China, perhaps uh, Europe, which Nintendo's traditionally had a hard time breaking into. And so having someone who, first of all, is used to leading markets that are outside of Japan uh, and second of all, having someone who's really focused on international development, you know, beyond just one region, perfect move for them right now. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the other point that I make in my editorial is while I think he is a great choice for the job and while I think he'll do good for it, I don't think he's Nintendo's long-term answer at the position. Mm-hmm. I think his, his tenure is going to be more transitional. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. Um, you, you, you kind of think about the timing of when he was moved from uh, NOAA CEO was about 2013, which is around the time we started to hear Nintendo talk about uh, consolidating the handheld and console divisions, talk about uh, taking ideas from younger people in the company and giving them more weight. Uh, it sort of says to me that he, as that person who whose strengths are in managing those people and developing uh, more efficient processes, he's intended to be back at the headquarters for the transition period. Uh, so Nintendo can become that newer, leaner, more agile sort of console company. Because his strengths aren't in game development. His strengths are in, you know, fine-tuning organizations. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people complaining that, you know, this guy has never even developed a game before. You know, how could he fill the shoes of Iwata? And I see complaints like those, and I think, you know, it's actually a good thing. Because Nintendo needs the business background right now for someone who's in that position. And, you know, maybe he's not as personable. Maybe he couldn't host the Nintendo Directs, but he doesn't need to. They don't need... Those things don't need to be done by the president. The president needs to be the one guiding their their business strategy and really guiding their business itself. For that, I think Kimishima's a great candidate. Right, you know, I want to put in that personal touch that is above and beyond the call of what you expect of a president. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we'll quite see that from uh, Kimishima... But, you know, like you said, his business background is wonderful. And, you know, I I don't understand that people could criticize him for not having a background in video games when most of those people also love Reggie Fils-Aimé, who had no background in video games before Nintendo. He made the Bigfoot pizza at Pizza Hut. That was his claim to fame. Well, and not only that, but but Hiroshi Yamauchi wasn't a a game developer either. He was a, a business guy. Yeah. He's the one who made the Nintendo Love Hotels, for crying out loud. Right. And he went from that to, you know, NES, which is put video games not just nintendo but video games back on the map mm-hmm. you know yeah so you don't you don't need that kind of background you know you you need to understand the market but you don't need to have made games to understand games but going back to what you said ben about sort of his tenure uh yeah he's he's getting older uh he's about 65 which i believe is the around the retirement age for nintendo's non-directors um, now that he's president, obviously he's not going to retire, but uh, that does, I think, mean that, yeah, his tenure is going to be up sooner rather than later. Um, he's currently only in place for just a year, which most of Nintendo's elected officials are. Um, they do that annually, but uh, he, on his first day, was already talking about you know who might succeed him and that he would be open to bringing in someone uh, from outside the company rather than f- hiring from within. 
And presidents don't do that on their first day on the job if they're planning to stick around for the long, long haul. Uh, you know, he, he may be around for five years, but certainly not for, you know, the tenure one would expect from a traditionally Nintendo's presidents like Yamauchi. Like, I, th- I find his comment that he's interested or perhaps open, just open to bringing someone from outside the company interesting because uh, I believe it was a guy from Sharp. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was brought in around the Wii era. And he was the guy who, during a meeting, uh, when they were you know talking with the the motion technology provider, sort of steamrolled the discussion and said, "No, we're going to invest in this technology." And you know, the rest is history. We was a huge hit, and it was all based on the hunch of this guy who wasn't even <laughs> a longtime Nintendo guy. Right. Um, so it's positive to me that they're looking or, or thinking about looking for people outside the company because. They've been so insular for so long. I don't know about the president role, though. Not for, maybe not for the president role, but certainly for leadership. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I see him as sort of uh, preparing for all possibilities because the, the mantra has been, um, we want to be future-proof, we want to get younger, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we're, we're, we're seeing him, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the restructure in a minute here, but as part of the corporate-wide uh, restructure that they announced on the same day that he was named president, you're seeing major Nintendo executives like Miyamoto and Takeda are stepping out of their manager roles and into consultant roles. And you're seeing other people take over those those manager positions. So I see it as he's restructuring the company in a way that they can train up younger people and newer people to move into executive positions or to become the, you know, the, the all-star developers or possibly even the president someday. But at the same time, he also said day one, I am open to bringing in outside help for these executive positions as well. So I see it, again, going back to my idea that he's a transitional president. He's getting the company together as much as he can. He's making it as efficient as he can. And he's he's grooming up new people for the roles. But if they're not ready by the time that he feels that his presidency needs to end, he'll bring in the best person for the job, whether they're from inside the company or outside the company. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that all the way. I think that's exactly what's going on. I think some people might have wanted Nintendo to bring in any, a younger person sooner, like now instead of uh, later. But uh, I think Nintendo did want know, to do that. We, yeah. Uh, they said yeah. Kimishima was not Iwata's first choice for, for president. Um, they said... Uh, they said specifically they wanted someone younger, but it seems like they didn't have anyone younger who was really ready for the job and and ready to do a good job at the job yet. Right, and there was some some talk around them wanting to pick someone quickly before the holiday season because that's when all their sales are going to happen. Certainly they want to pick someone before uh, the NX rollout starts to happen. Mm -hmm. And there's also their uh, their mobile venture. Yeah. There's there's just a lot on Nintendo's plate right now. And the fact that they've moved Miyamoto and, and Takeda out of their previous roles at the same time, it, it, more, than, more than just symbolically suggests that they're, they really are working toward installing new people, not just, uh, you know, elevating this old guy. Installing new fellows. <laughs> installing new fellows. <laughs> How great is it that creative Miyamoto's fellows. official job title is so Creative great. Fellow? Creative I think fellow. we all knew he was a creative fellow. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, Miyamoto's been talking for a long time, and, and Takeda as well, about senior executives, you know, taking less responsibility and passing on the torch. But this is the first sort of tangible step we've seen towards that with, you know, a literal company restructure that takes away the general manager title and, you know, puts them into just sort of this, like, super group of advisors instead of, you know, active managers. 
I mean, I think that's great. And I think I think the merger of their internal teams into one sort of development team is is a great idea. Uh, Yamauchi originally set those those different divisions of their development teams up so that they would be competing with each other for his attention for, you know, the best games. And so certain games and certain development cultures would arise in those different teams. But we're at a point where a lot of those development cultures are getting really distinct from each other, or were getting really distinct from each other. And, you know, we got teams that would make games like WarioWare and Rhythm Heaven, teams that would make things like Xenoblade X, which is really, uh, you know, forward-thinking and really great for, for Nintendo. But then we've got games like Super Mario 3D World or Mario Party 10, which is all about multiplayer and doesn't even let you play online. Well, I mean, the segregation between EAD and SPD made a lot more sense back when uh, their hardware divisions were, were really separate because you had... You no, know, I agree. It made sense then, but I mean, I think it's a good move. Right. You had Miyamoto at EAD and then you had Gunpei Yokoi at, at SPD, and but, but you don't really have that sort of... First of all, that sort of division between platforms now that they're uniting them, but also that right. sort of division between development teams where the development teams sort of have to tackle different challenges. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, you have different people working on different projects, but I think I think merging the development teams so that they're all available to each other's resources and creative juices is a great thing. You know, we've seen EAD has gotten kind of really averse to taking risks, whereas SPD is doing was doing things like overseeing Metroid Prime, overseeing Xenoblade, which are things that are, are the really inventive new risk-taking things for Nintendo, and... Uh, Xenoblade didn't work out great because they didn't promote it at all, but the games themselves have been wildly critically successful, and so, I mean, I think it's good to to get those ideas bouncing back and forth between different types of people. Yeah, and, you know, I think I've seen a lot of people sort of express concern over the fact that on day one he's announcing major structural changes, but again, this this isn't really a new concept This is that he's pushing. This is taking things that Iwata had already set in motion like combining, you know, the the different like the handheld and the home console team into into one, and just you know making it more efficient, just tweaking it, you know, with his business savvy to make it a, a smoother process. Yeah, and it's not like he came in on day one with an iron hammer and said, "All right, here's how it's going to be. We're all changing this way, and you're going to like it." Yeah, this this, this kind of structure. It's going to be in place by the time the podcast is out, this episode of the podcast. It's already it's in, place in place while we're right recording now, it, because it's already time. the 16th. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he can't do it that soon without that having been set in motion a while ago. And sure. you know, with almost everyone, if not everybody, in the executive positions on board and supporting the idea. Well, and going back to what I said earlier, he was installed in that corporate analysis position in June 2013. So that's certainly mm-hmm. something he was involved with way back when, and in you know, June 2014, he was put in charge of human resources. So these are already sort of sorts of things he's been involved in. This isn't a new, you know, like you said, coming in with a hammer and wrecking everything. Mm-hmm. This is this is his job. Yeah, I've, we were talking sort of about the union of the new the the, the development teams. Uh, the new manager is uh, Shinya Takahashi, and what I find interesting is he's also the supervisor of another new division, which is the business development division. Typically, we haven't seen Nintendo's development divisions so entangled with the sort of business-focused divisions. So I'm wondering if this means that they're sort of going back to the sort of Wii-era measured approach in terms of deciding what games to make and what markets to hit with those games. Yeah, Uh, I think they are, and I think that's an overwhelmingly good thing. Yeah, I mean, lately we've heard a lot about Nintendo saying, we don't think about sales after things ship, or... 
we're not focused on focus testing and all these other things that traditional marketing companies do. Yeah, um, and you hear comments like that, and it's like, what on earth are you thinking? Yeah, you're still a business as much as you are a creative <laughs> development company. You, yeah. you have to match your creativity with things people actually desire. You yeah. can't just throw stuff out there and hope something sticks. You have to be savvy about it. Especially when hardly any of it is sticking. Right, and and especially when you rose to prominence through ruthless business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yamauchi was a ruthless businessman. He would not have tolerated <laughs> this whole worship of creativity mm-hmm. creativity only serves you if it if it makes you money right i mean that's not to say it should be soulless but but it is to say that that you need to pay attention to sales and and the business and the trends in the market need to influence the kind of creativity that you're using right you can make the most creative game in the world but if it has an audience of no one then that what what good has it done you Right. Yeah, and on the subject of you know not just being a, a soulless money machine, he actually specifically in that first interview addressed that and said he thinks it's wrong to run a gaming company on numbers alone. And obviously he's a businessman, he's going to care about the numbers. Like you said, it doesn't matter how creative your game is if no one wants to buy it. Right. But he he's making an effort immediately. You know, he it, it's like he he knew that that was going to be a concern of fans. This guy's a businessman. He's not like Iwata, and he just addressed it right out of the gate. I think a comment like that has a specific meaning when it comes from Nintendo, where where there's sort of this alternative to the sort of sort of hyper masculine, uh, gory, overly mature AAA industry that we're in. Right. That would be selling out if Nintendo were to go that direction. Right. But, you know, that's also not to say that they might not start dipping their feet in territories like that, because we know by making games that are almost exclusively rated E, they're missing out on the markets of a lot of the games and and the the positive will of a lot of the gamers who are over 13 and think (laughs) that shooting things is cool. You know, they're they're missing out on a lot of, of, of goodwill from the core gamers that they really need to be attracting. And, you know, that's not to say they need to make a bunch of gritty shooters, but that is to say, looking at trends like this, they will probably start thinking about how to deliver their message to those kinds of people and bring them back on Nintendo platforms. That doesn't mean they'll, they're going to give Mario a cigar, but that, you know, that means that, that more people will be coming to Nintendo platforms for, for those kinds of games, whether Nintendo's making them or whether it means they're getting new third-party support. And then, you know, by virtue of that, more people will be enjoying the the traditional Nintendo games that we all love them for, like Splatoon and Zelda. Yeah. And Zelda in particular is a good example because it went from an E-rated series to a T-rated series for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're scaling back in with Zelda so much. Not with Zelda U, but, you know, we look at, like, Skyward Sword, and that's that's a really far cry from the appeal that the original Zelda had. Um, and know, even Twilight about... Princess. Yeah. 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 Well, so it sounds like we're about done with our with our thoughts on Mr. Kimishima. Do we have any other final thoughts before we wrap it up here? That sounds like a no. I'm all out of thoughts. <laughs> my brain is done. Well, I'll be I'll, I'll be interested to see training. I'll be interested for the uh, October investors meeting to see how he handles his first uh, investor Q&A and his first financial report. I think we might learn a lot about his his style at least in terms of how he'll deal with the public from that meeting uh yeah that's that's a really good point and i'll be interested to see how he he uh works with nintendo's brands from here on out in getting new business partners because we know that was something they're doing a lot with the mobile plans uh we've heard a ton of you know iwata said they want to bring their characters to films um well in that uh new division he's established ip licensing is is one of the things they'll be handling 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, Mother 3 anime make it happen. <laughs> so I, I'm interested in seeing how that's going to affect Nintendo's strategy, and uh, I think it's a great way to reach their IPs to new places and, and make a ton more money. So good things. I guess for me, the investor meeting, uh, I'm most excited for uh, him to sort of address what he thinks Nintendo's failures were and where they, he thinks Nintendo's going to go next to address those. Because he's already spoken pretty mm-hmm. frankly about what he thought about Wii U. Yeah. He says it was too similar to Wii, and so it, it didn't have it, its chance to sort of stand on its own. But uh, but I wonder if there's more to it than that, and if, and if he has more insight into what where they're going next that he's willing to share. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that that October 28th conference. We will be covering it in full here at Gamnesia, so you can uh, read it all about it then. And, of course, we'll be talking about it on Nintendo Week as well when the time comes. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This is the end of Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it. We're aiming for 30 reviews, so if you have not left a review yet and you really like the show, please do that. It really helps us out. Um, if you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com, and remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys, and we read them and talk about them here on the show, so it's a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A.com. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com for more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even a ton of Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have another great week. Tatsumi Takim... Fuck. <laughs>